Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. What's up, everybody? Pastor Aaron here. Thanks for being with us uh, on this Sunday morning. Hope you are well and are uh, enjoyed that time of worship. Let's get into God's Word together. And we are today wrapping up our summer series, and uh, I'm excited to tell you about our next series that starts next week in tandem with a season that we uh, enter into twice a year called our 21 Days of Prayer. Uh, we are starting a brand new series called Dangerous Prayers, so I'm going to talk about very the dangerous prayers that we can pray that, man, if you are bold enough to pray them, that God will begin moving in a very different way in your life. So we'll start that series next week and then also begins our 21 Days of Prayer. And together what that is is a season where we take time out to seek God and we seek Him first. And we seek Him trusting in His power alone to begin working in our lives again, especially after the summer slump where we've been on vacation and we've all all been out uh, uh, taking time off from all of our normal routines. It's time to get back into a normal routine to renew and refresh our relationship with God and make Him a priority, reinstate those spiritual disciplines in our lives, believing that God is going to make a lasting impact in our lives, our church, and our community and world abroad. So here's how we're doing that. You have an opportunity to join us every single day uh, online at 8 a.m. We're going to have a time of focused prayer where we will pray together. We'll share a bit of God's word and give you that boost for the day as we join together online to pray. So make sure that you join us starting tomorrow morning uh, for our 21 days of prayer. Now, in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of wrap it up and put a bow on the whole thing because in this, throughout this summer series, I've talked about our vision, which is reaching people far from God and teaching them to follow Jesus step by step. And we talked about how we go about reaching people. We also talked about our big butts that get in the way and keep us from doing that. And today I want to talk about specifically who we are reaching. And it's especially important in the culture and climate that we find ourselves in today that we do this. Now, we're going to look at a story found in Luke 15, uh, verses one, or, or starting at verse 1. And, uh, and I need you to understand that Jesus... Uh, spent time with people that were not like him. It says in verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners, and that's in in, in quotes there because that's not a word that Jesus would have chosen to use, but it's a word that they used to describe people he was hanging out with. So, so So it says it, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around Jesus. So here he is spending time with people who are not like him. He's spending time with people who are outcast. He's spending time with people who are are the marginalized people, the oppressed people of his culture in that day, and even the people that were silenced. Jesus is speaking to these kind of people and really spending time with them. And what it does is it informs us as a church that these are the kind of people that God intends to be in his church, not just people that have it all together, not just people that pay their taxes and are good people. No, he intends for all people to be in his church. And we, just like Jesus, our church ought to look like, man, there's a whole bunch of different people here. And what that means is that church life can be messy. It's not going to be clean. Next verse goes on and says this, 
But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. So the, Jesus spending time with those that, that were uh, uh, marginalized and outcast has people talking to themselves. And it says, they said, this man welcomes Thanereth, because <laughs> that's how he talked about him, right? Thanereth, and he eats with them. Now, again, this title sinner was a title given by the religious elite of the day. They called them that to create this us versus them mentality. And ultimately what it served to do was create this dividing line that was so toxic in their, in their culture that, that, man, people didn't want to deal with or talk to thinners, you know? It was, it was this good versus bad, the good being the us, right, and the bad versus them. There were good people, bad people. The good people paid their taxes, went to church, they would serve, they would give, they, they had their life all together versus the bad people who were stuck in cycles of addiction, people that that we, they felt like, man, you should, you should just dig yourself out of that mess, you know, just make different decisions, go a different way, stop dating that person. And in general, these people were people that didn't have their lives together. They said, your life is just a mess. The religious elite saw them as outsiders, people that God didn't love and they wouldn't love as well. They compared them with us in order to make themselves look good. They said, well, compared to them, I'm doing all right. We are great and you are not. You sinners. And Jesus despised this attitude. In fact, he pushed against it. This is why he spent time with them because he hated this us versus them mentality. And as a result, he tells three stories. These are parables that Jesus would have told. And really, these three stories are the foundation of our church and who it is exactly that we're reaching. So here goes the first story that he tells. It's verse three. It says, then Jesus told this parable. So after they accuse him of, of eating and hanging out with sinners, he tells the story. He says, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So here's what's happening here. There is rejoicing in heaven. There is party that happens in heaven when one person that is lost comes home. So there's three principles in this story that I, I want you to see. The first principle is, is that you can't lose what you don't originally possess. You can't lose what you don't originally possess. Now in this story, there's a hundred sheep and the shepherd discovers that he has lost one. Why is that important? Well, because in order for us to recognize uh, who it is that we're loving, we need to have a perspective shift and we need to step out of the us versus them mentality because you need to understand that all of creation, every, every person on this earth is one of God's kids. He knew them when he formed them in the womb. He knew them long ago before he formed them. He has plans for them and he has a purpose for their life. This is not a us with, with us being against them. It's all of us together when we say us. It's not an us versus them. There is no them. It's just all us. All of us are God's kids. 
There's not this group of people who can't get it together. In fact, if we're being honest about our lives, we don't have it together either. It's all of us. We are all God's kids, and he loves us equally. And so there's the shift that we have to make in our mindset to understand that it's just us, and we all belong to God, because you can't lose what you didn't originally own. That means that when somebody is far from God, somebody is, they are lost because they belong to him in the first place. Like, for example, I haven't lost a Rolex. The reason I've never lost a Rolex is because I've never owned a Rolex watch. That's the case. I can't lose what I've never owned, okay? The second thing that we can learn from this story is is that you should count things that matter. Listen, a lot of people push back from, from within our spiritual community, within churches around the country that say, you know, we, we shouldn't really count, you know, we, it doesn't really matter how many people showed up, or we shouldn't be counting things. Yes, we should. In this life, we count things that matter. Like, listen, when it comes to my kids, when people ask how many kids I have, I don't say, well, I've got two to three kids, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. I have three kids. I know how many kids I have at all times. In fact, whenever we used to take them to the store, we would count. I've got two, you've got one, we're good. And when we only had two, then it was a mad dash around the store to try to find the third one, right? Kevin! Like, we count things that matter. You count money in the bank. You, you better know how much money is in the bank. I'm counting days till vacation. There, we, we, you can count other things like your debt load, like how much indebtedness you have. You can count at my house, something very important that we count is the cans of bang that are in the refrigerator because my goodness, my wife likes to have her bang and I like it, like it too. But my kids, sometimes they like to sneak in there and get it. So if we count it, we know when one of them guys have been sneaking it, right? You count things that matter. So here at our church, we count attendance because people matter. We count how many, how many people say yes every Sunday. We count how many grow groups we have, how many leaders we have. We count how many baptisms we have. We count the offering at the feeding program. We're counting how many meals that we give out. We should count the stuff that matters. Third principle you'll see in this story is that when something is lost, it changes your focus. When something is lost, it changes your focus. Listen, I think that on a regular basis, The shepherd got up every day and was in maintenance mode. Like he has a hundred sheep, you get up, this is your schedule, this is what you do, this is how he behaves, this this is where we're going to go feed them, this is where we're going to water them, and then at the end of the day, we're going to come back in. It's just maintenance, right? We understand the routine and what is supposed to happen here, okay? And so, but at the end of the day, what the shepherd does, and throughout his day, I'm sure, he has a habit of counting his sheep. And it's not until he discovers that one of the sheep that he usually counts is is not there. And that's when he has a focus shift. Because he cares for his sheep, he's willing to leave the 99 in the open pasture, is what it says, and go to find the lost one. He changed from a maintenance mode to a searching mode. And I think oftentimes the problem with church is that we get lulled into a state of comfort. We get lulled into a state where we're building up our marriages, we're building up our families, we're, we're building up our spiritual man, we're building up our community. Like we're, we're doing good things within our church and we kind of get lulled into this maintenance mode and we've, we've stopped reaching people. 
We get stuck. Those are all good things that we're doing through our Bible studies and our grow groups, but we kind of get stuck in maintenance mode. And, and, and here's the problem. We need to be in a state where we are obsessed with reaching people, not just keeping people. Because all those good things that we do are scheduled around or structured around keeping people. And we need to be obsessed with reaching people. It ought to be that way, not the other way around. Reaching people, reaching the lost, must be a priority. Because it's simple, church. Here's what I want you to know. We want you to grow. We want to invest in your family. We want you to have a strong marriage. We want you to be legacy builders for the kingdom of God. And everything we do is structured around that. But our goal, our existence, the reason why we're here, isn't just for these things. It is to reach lost people. We're not just about this comfy Christian experience. We're not about just helping people get into maintenance mode where they're just, they have a good relationship with God. We have to be about reaching the lost. Reaching the lost isn't about a comfortable spiritual experience. It's anything but that. It's messy. It's uncertain. Searching mode always is. So when we count us, we have to count and see when all of us aren't here. And when all of us aren't here, because all of us aren't, if all of us is every human being on this planet, and all of us aren't here, we need to stay in search mode. That changes our agenda. That makes sure that we look at what our weekend services are structured like, what, our, what the content of our conversations is structured like, the motivation and the heartbeat behind our church and what we're doing. It must be that we are still reaching, that we are praying for, and we are searching for the loss. Even here in the middle of a pandemic, we must be searching for the loss at all costs. You ever lose your keys before? You're not merely satisfied to say, well, I've lost my keys, but well, here's my wallet. I've got my wallet. Right? You don't celebrate what you have. You're, you're distracted by that which is lost. That's God's heart. He loves you. He loves me. He loves all of what we're doing to build up our church community. And, 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 and he loves all of that. He loves our grow groups. He loves our watch parties. But he's distracted by that which is lost. His eyes are looking for those that are not here. He loves that you're growing and maturing as a Christian. And the reason that he's distracted is because God loves all his kids. He loves you and me. And he even loves the kids that aren't here yet. So I'm calling us to leverage all that we have to find them. Now, Jesus goes on in his story. And in Luke 15, uh, he tell, or, or verse 8, excuse me, he tells another story. And uh, it's at this point that Jesus is talking. He's actually talking to, he's going to address some women. Okay, now Jesus does this quite often. He actually not only spends time with the marginalized and oppressed, but he actually tells these stories in a way that are scandalous uh, in a, in, in, according to his time. You think like Jesus talking to a woman that's not very scandalous. Well, it was during his time because to address a woman in public would have been a scandalous thing. To speak or to teach in this way would have been scandalous. It also would have been scandalous to tell a story about a shepherd because shepherds were considered unclean. They were not fit for religious purposes, right? And so, so Jesus is dealing with and telling stories about, even the Good Samaritan story that he told is about somebody that would have been scandalous to those that were listening to this story. And so Jesus now is speaking to and addressing the women in the crowd. And he tells another story. This is the second story. He says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. 
Doesn't she light a lamp? Doesn't she sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So there's two principles in this story I want you to see. The first one is the value of what is lost determines the intensity of the search. The value of what is lost determines the intensity of the search. You ever lose something of low value before? You don't really care that you've lost it. It doesn't change your life. You don't stop what you're doing and go look for it. You don't break your agenda and cancel appointments. You just don't do that. But when you misplace something of high worth, your whole life is distracted by it. You start looking for it. You turn the house like this woman did upside down, looking everywhere for it. It's like the difference between losing a pair of socks. Like if, at my house, if you lose a pair of socks, there are socks that are stuffed into the couch. that I could probably find five individual socks. When I fold laundry, my wife's socks never match. They, they, I just don't even bother trying to match them up because there's so many. She put, have her pull up her pants so I can show you when she's wearing little, little, her little ankle socks. You, you can't tell because they're the little Heidi socks, but none of them match. Absolutely none of them match. Nobody cares. Nobody cares when you lose a pair of socks because, or even one sock, right? Because they're so inexpensive. But let me tell you something. A few months back, we lost our TV controller to the Apple TV. And you know what? I shut it down. It was gone for days. And I said, you know what? I am done with this. Nobody does anything else. I shut the whole house down. I said, none of you kids can go here or there. We aren't doing another thing until we find that Apple TV. And I sent them out into the living room to do it. They tore apart the whole place, couldn't find it. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find this. And so I looked around, I pulled out the couches, I flipped them upside down, did same things that they did, but I took it a step further. I actually got a knife and I flipped the couch upside down and I cut into the bottom of the couch. It's usually got that like protector thing there to keep, keep stuff, I don't know, keep you from finding stuff is what it was doing. But when I cut it open, I found lots of pairs of socks, but I found my Apple TV controller, man. We made it a priority. It's the difference between the invaluable or the, that that is not valuable and that that is of high worth. It was important that we found that controller in my house. And the story of the lost coin that they're telling, this coin would have been really important because this would have been part of the money that her father would have given her to her that she could use as an offering to a potential suitor. It would have been part of what was known as a dowry. It would have been her contribution to the marriage. It was valuable to her because it was part of her identity and it was part of her worth. And you need to understand that God places value on all of us. Every single one of us is valuable and precious to him. We are his kids. The second principle in this story is that heaven celebrates when lost things are found. Spoiler alert, here it is. This, the same theme throughout each one of these stories is that every time that which is lost is found, there's a party. They begin to have a party. And not only do they have a party you know, and celebrate themselves, they get other people around and celebrate. Well, at Simple Church, we understand that the Bible says that all of heaven is having a party, right? Whenever somebody says yes to Jesus and they turn their life to him, up in heaven, 
Cool and the gang start playing Celebrate Good Times, and there's angels having a party, and they're wearing, they're wearing their lampshades, and things are getting knocked over. Everybody's celebrating, having a good time. Listen, we celebrate that here at Simple Church as well. In this past, uh, past few weeks of summer, we have had eight people say yes to Jesus. Yes, even in a pandemic when we aren't gathering together. That, that means that up in heaven, there are eight parties that occurred that Simple Church was responsible for because we focused on finding lost people. And listen, every number represents a person's life that has been changed. That's why we're here. Now, Jesus goes on to tell one more story in this, in this session. And I, I understand that, that the reason he probably told a third story is because that there were people sitting there that day listening to him. And maybe you're even doing the same. You're like, well, I'm not a sheep and I'm not a coin. So, but I'm here listening to you, Jesus. I'm not lost, right? So I know where I'm at. I'm sitting here. Maybe they were at the temple. I'm not really sure exactly where they were when this was happening, but, but they knew where they were. So they're like, we're not lost. And, and, and so Jesus tells another story. And the story that he tells, many of you already know, it's the story of the prodigal son. And, and here's the story. The, the son comes to a father one day and he says, dad, he says, I, I, I want to have my, my half of the inheritance. And there were two sons. The oldest son would have, gotten, would have gotten a double portion of the inheritance when his father died. And the youngest son, this is the son who was asking for it while his father was still alive, by the way, which basically he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want to have my own things. I want to go live my own life. I don't want a part of your establishment or part of your business. He said, Dad, I wish you were dead and I want my money, okay? And so the father for whatever reasons, this would have been scandalous during this time. For whatever reason, the father gives it and the son heads off. And it picks up in chapter 15, verse 13, it says, and not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need, which by the way, that's what happens in our lives. We start doing things our own way and we start walking away from God's best for our life. And man, because sin is fun for a season, I get that, but then life happens. Stuff happens around us that compounds the pain of our sin already. Life just hands us a bowl of lemons because that, that, that's what's happened to this young man. He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. Also would have been scandalous. Here he is, a young Jewish kid, and they, they don't eat pork, and they don't tend pigs, and this would have been, because that's just not kosher, this would have been scandalous. This would have been an outrage to them for a Jew to touch, Jewish person to, to deal with pigs. So, so the, the farmer sends him out to deal with his pigs, and he says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Man, this is a picture of what sin will do to you. Because sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you way more than you want to pay. Continues in verse 13. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He said, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Which, by the way, this is a common response to our sin. When we're confronted with our sin, when we realize that the very first thing we want to try to do is make it right through our own efforts. By the way, this is also known as religion. 
Religion says, this is what I'm going to do to get to God. But a relationship with God says, God, God is saying to us, this is what I did to get to you. Because there is nothing that we can do to get to God. There is nothing we can do to make things right with God. Our sin, the only way that we can pay for it is through eternity and separation from God in hell. That, that's it. And because, and, listen, God made a way for us, though. He made a way for us through Jesus so that we didn't have to pay for that sin ourselves. And I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But his response was very common. His response was a religious one. I'll do this. I'll clean myself up. I'll make this right. I'll come back. I won't even be considered a son anymore because how could I be after the things that I've done? I'm going to come back. I'm going to get the list of rules. I'm going to be a servant and I'm going to go for religion. So it says he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. That means his father was looking for him, by the way. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, which again, during this time and in this culture would have been scandalous for a father to run to his son. And he threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son expected a different heart in his father, but nothing could have been further from the truth. The father was not mad at him. The father loved him and demonstrated his love for him by, by pursuing him, throwing his arms around him and loving him recklessly so, though even though everybody in his town and community would have been watching. There are two principles in this story for us to understand about who it is we are reaching. First is that the lost is not defined by location, but by affiliation. See, lost people aren't physically lost in that they don't know where they are. It's that they don't know who the father is. That they are children who don't know who their father is. They don't know that there's a God in heaven who created them, who has plans for them, who has purpose for them, who knew them long before they were ever formed in their mother's womb, before the father ever laid eyes on their mother, their biological father. God knew them. He, he knew them and he loves them. The truth is about our heavenly father, if you find yourself in a state where you are far from him or you're lost, is that God is not mad at you. God's not trying to get even with you. He's not waiting on you to mess up so that he can hit you with a lightning bolt. God wants to be in relationship with all of his kids that are far from him, all of his kids that are lost. And as a result of being far from him, they're missing out on his best for their lives. They're missing out on eternity in heaven when it is to come. And they're missing out on the full and fulfilled life that he promises we can have here and now. You know, my story is the story of a prodigal son. I, I grew up in church. I knew God. I, I was baptized at a young age. I knew at a young age, at the, the age of 16, that God had called me to ministry. I began serving in ministry, but at some point in time in my life, I held on to a fence and it, called me to, and it caused me to walk away from my relationship with God. I took my giftings and I began applying it other, other, in other areas of my life and I went off and lived wildly. I lived irresponsibly financially. I amassed a whole bunch of debt through credit cards, ridiculous things. I, I, I was irresponsible relationally. I hurt some of my very closest friends and family members through my behaviors during this time. I, I was a wreck sexually as I, I started having sex, even though I had been saving myself for marriage because of, of the morals that were within my heart and, and because of uh, the value that I had placed on God's best for me. When I walked away from God, I discarded that. And so 
not only was I, did I begin having sex, I also was watching an incredible amount of porn. And when I say incredible, I don't mean the porn was incredible. I mean the, the amount of it. It was copious amounts, un, unlimited, unbridled amount. And as a result, I became, became addicted to pornography during that season. I wound up getting a girl pregnant out of wedlock. I had bill collectors calling every single day. I also got married in order to cover the mistake that I had made by getting a girl pregnant that I, I A, wasn't in love with, and B, I, I said, well, I guess I've got to do this thing in order to make it right, which is what we believe was the right thing to do. As a result of not being able to handle my finances, my car got repossessed. I was divorced within a year. Again, addicted to pornography, walked through bankruptcy, and I was angry and bitter for years. And then a friend invited me to church invited me to experience God's love. And I was welcomed there, and I was loved as I was, angry and bitter. They provided me with a place. They didn't try to put me to work. I said, I'm not going to give. I'm not going to serve. And they were like, you're welcome here. They, they did the equivalent of what the father did to the son in the story is they welcomed me. They said, we would love to have you here. Sit, get healed, get reconnected with the father. It's almost as if they were just waiting on me to come home. That's the kind of church we need to be, guys. We need to be a church that is waiting on the lost people to come home, that is ready for when they do. For when God puts them in front of us, no matter their state, we love them where they're at. That's what a church did for me, and it changed my life. The second principle we can see here, first one is lost is not defined by location, but affiliation. The second one is the father is waiting for the lost to come home. And that's what my church was doing for me. C3 Church out in Pickerington, man, they were, they were waiting on me just like the Father was waiting. They were ready for me, and God is ready for those that are far from him. He's ready for the lost to come home. In the, in the story, the Father didn't care what the Son had done or who he had become. He was his Son no matter what. And we need to love people that way too, guys. No matter what they've done, no matter the condition of their life, no matter their political leanings, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their nationality or their background, no matter their family history, no matter the mistakes they've made, no matter their sexual orientation, no matter their social status, no matter their riches or their poverty, their, whether they are sick or whole, whether they are single, married, divorced, it does not matter. No matter what, their story ends the same as the prodigal's sons, with the father on the porch watching and waiting for them to come home. He's distracted by that which was lost. His kids who are so valuable to him. We need to be a church like that. A church like the one that loved me. People who are watching, people who are waiting on the lost to come home. Remember this as I wrap up. It, it's an us, not a them situation. There is no them. It's all of us. We are all God's kids. We may never be comfortable, or rather may we never be comfortable in maintenance mode. May we always remember that search mode must be our default. And we also need to remember that God's heart is broken for his lost kids. He's distracted by those who aren't here yet, and ours must be as well. And we need to keep in mind that there is a party that is set in heaven right now. Everyone is in their place. The cake is ready. The angels have got their little party poppers. The balloons are already hung. Everyone's ready to celebrate. So let's continue to fill heaven so that the party can commence. Amen, everybody. Let's pray.
Father, my prayer today is for those that are far from you right now. That in this message, they would have heard how much you love them, how much you care for them. And that in this moment, they would respond. And so I'm just going to say to you, those of you that are far from God, God loves you so, so much. You're lost not by your location, but because your, but by your affiliation, because you don't know your heavenly father. Or maybe you did at one point in time and you walked far away from him. You've been separated from him by your pursuits to fill a need that only he can fill within you. If you're ready to come home, I'm going to give you that opportunity. If you've been feeling God speak to your heart throughout this entire message and you're ready to be part of a church and a movement that is ready to welcome you home, would you just pray this prayer with me? And if you're gonna do that right now, in the, in the chat box, if you're in our online campus, there's a way for you to click a button and say, I'm raising my hand. I believe you need to make a commitment and raise your hand either physically where you're at if you're in a watch party or if you're online in our online campus, click here. But, or maybe let us know if you're watching this anywhere else in any other place in the comment section that, hey, I'm making a commitment today. But, but pray this prayer with us. Pray to say these words. Say, Jesus, I need you. Today I give you my life because I'm coming home. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new and show me how to live for you. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Man, again, like we told you before that all of heaven is having a party for those of you who made that commitment today. If you're in our online campus, when you click that, raise your hand. Another box popped open that said, uh, I gave you an opportunity to fill out a connection card. Would you fill out that connection card? Doing that gives us an opportunity to be able to resource you for your next steps. And we want to do that. We want to be part of your life and be your church from this day forward and, and love you on your spiritual journey. So give us that opportunity to do that. Also want to do this as we wrap up our day, give you an opportunity to give. Uh, thank you so much for your faithfulness and thank you for all that you are giving. There's ways to give that are coming up on the screen right now. You can do that through our, uh, our website. You can also do that through a text to give. Text any dollar amount to the number 84321. Uh, you can also uh, use our Simple Church app if you're already registered there. Those are great ways to do that. We appreciate your generosity. Uh, thank you for continuing to help us reach people that are far from God. All right, a few announcements I need to make sure that I remind you of first is that watch parties are going on. What is a watch party, you say? Well, it's people that are gathering in safe numbers uh, to watch the service together and worship together, fellowship together. And uh, you can join one too. You can even lead one if you'd like to. Go, log on to our website. Maybe you know, a banner is popping up right now if you're in the online campus that will give you an opportunity to log in or to uh, uh, sign up for a watch party. They are so much fun. We've got one that runs at our house and we love having people there. Join one, you will be glad that you did. We all need to be in community and fellowship with one another, especially during this time. So make sure you join a watch party and let us know if you'd like to host one. Also, 21 Days of Prayer starts next week. Uh, day one will be next Sunday in tandem with our brand new series, The Dangerous Prayers. So make sure that you make begin making a plan now for what you're gonna do during our 21 days of prayer. I love you guys. God bless you. We will see you right back here next week.